Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Yes. Bite upon don't feel guilty at all. There's no need to feel guilty. I haven't done anything I'm ashamed of. Maybe I haven't done enough. I might be ashamed of that for not doing enough, for not giving enough, for not being more perceptive, for not being aware enough, for not understanding, for uh, being stupid. I don't fit in society and I am incompetent. I'm definitely incompetent. Yeah, no, I would. Well, I, I say that. I say that. No, there's nothing wrong with being incompetent because you don't have to do as much. Uh, <laughs> if you're competent, then you got a lot to do. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am Albert Shivers, and on this episode today is Kelly Ann Walsh. She's the special guest today. Kelly and I met at a theater. The Diva Theater in Scranton, but I'm still convinced I've seen her somewhere before that. In this episode, Kelly and I get into a lot of fun topics, and we have a, a really have a ball talking with her. But the main thing, a heavier thing that we get into, is the why of being an artistic person or being an artist. By the why. I mean, pretty much, let's see, you know, when somebody who isn't an artist, so it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter if it's drawing, it doesn't matter if it's theater, it doesn't matter if it's acting in front of the camera or filmmaking or photography, when you are an artist like that, there's nothing else you want to do. It just begins and ends with that. You eat, sleep, and breathe it. And to the people who really are passionate about it, if it's really living inside them, then they will do it just for the love of doing it. Example, and Kellyanne is is a good example of this, but also other people who've been on this show, whether it was, we go back to Luke and Andrew, or a few, you know, they're not coming to my mind now, but... People who were actors did things on stage, did things in front of the camera. Let's leave out visual art. Leave me out of it. So, people are doing these local plays and all these things in between jobs. In other words, like they're doing it on their time off. They're taking time off the job that is paying them to do this. And you bring that back around... Let's talk about it in terms of visual art and sacrificing time, which is what acting people are doing until they they make it, you know, however you want to define making it. But on the art side, from personal experience and speaking for a little bit for other artists, there are so many other things we could be doing, okay? Drawings and paintings take hours weeks, months sometimes. There are so many other things we could be doing, but artists have chosen to take that time and dedicate it to this. And my feelings, so now I went to IS-61, Staten Island, and that school had something called the Magnet Program from 6th to 8th grade, you had to put a portfolio in and they accepted you. I don't know if they even turned anybody down. But I was into that. So for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I was in a drawing program. And after I left 8th grade and left I-61 and went on to high school, I never picked up a pencil again until 2012. Okay? So I've been taking a crack at visual art solely... Well, solely for about three years, like nothing but it, no film work or anything, but I've been doing art in a serious way since 2012, let's just say that. And in that time, I realized 
through other artists and through my own experience that you better love drawing because it is not impossible but it is an uphill battle to be able to make any sort of real livable sustainable money off of it i think it's wrong to tell people it's impossible because there are jerks all over the internet all over the world doing bad art and they're doing fine with it so if your good art is most likely better than theirs and they've made it so why can't you why can't me why can't any of us i think the the perceived notion of you know uh, the scarcity of making it is a bit overblown doesn't mean it's easy and hard work whittles down the field so to speak but I don't think it's impossible there are niches everywhere and I I don't know I just I think to be oh do this no no it reminds me of something I was um talking to an, a friend of mine who acted and he had to take a week off of, of his own work to do this run of plays it was like a Christmas show or something and that's exactly what I'm talking about you know it is that is a form of sacrifice and he may not become you know world renowned but in that moment for that week while he was doing that play or while someone is working on a drawing or working on a film or struggling to get things done those are those moments that are going to make things worth it you know and i see it with our i was just looking through portfolios today from 2013 and 14 i was like geez how bad was i then and then i thought that I was doing fantastic. And I look back, I'm like, oh boy. But who knows what it will look like in another five years or another six years or eight years. And you will go be able to go back and look at that work that you did and, and either see your improvement or be glad that you did it. There's no way to go come all the way back around. There's no way to talk the artist, the actor, the filmmaker, the photographer, whose heart is really in it, there's no way to talk them out of it. There's no way. And that's why some artists grow up, or not, sorry, not grow up, some artists die poor, they have terrible lives, they're isolated, and it's for that reason, because the rest of the world isn't ever going to get that that is what you live and breathe. They're not going to get it. And that's just something that you need to accept and move on with they're not going to get it don't expect them to get it and expect them to knit and peck and pick at you as you go down the road because you can't look if i ran into a japanese guy today walking around and we both had a conversation i don't know nothing about japanese and he doesn't know nothing about english that's what it's like. That's what it's going to be like from the artistic point of view, talking to someone who's just not going to get it. Someone who's just not going to get it. That it lives and breathes and evolves in you. And in them, they got cobwebs, pretty much. That's it. You know, I don't want to be cruel here, but that's the long and short of it. So Kelly and I get into that. And from her point of view of being an actress... In Scranton, Pennsylvania, who or in, in that area, who is doing it because she just purely loves doing it, and those are the artists that I like to talk to. Okay, artists who haven't been, uh, their mind hasn't been changed by what it takes to make it. They're just doing it, and they're doing it just because they just rawly love doing it okay art you know and when you're in that mindset it's like being on the bus in speed there's no way to stop it there's no way to stop it all the cars and all the people can get in your way you're just going to squash them because you found your passion and what you're doing which is the arts which 
has become very hard to survive in, but you know what? It's not impossible. It's not. It's way more possible than everybody would have you believe. Do I have proof of this? I don't have proof of this. But it's just a feeling that lives in my heart, it lives in my gut, that it's possible. With the passion and the love for it, and the willingness with that passion and love to just kill yourself and do the hard work, next thing you know, you'll be there. And all that time that you worked on it, whether it's two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, you'll have that whole body of work, just like I did, to look back on and go, oh, geez, I thought I was good then, and look how much I improved, or see your process. Look back on it, see where you evolved, where you grew, so all of it matters. All of it matters from that first attempt, the first time you went on stage, the first time your pencil hit the page, the first time you said action or rolling in your film. All that from that moment on all matters. This isn't a jump like this. This is the steady growth. Okay? Now I'm gonna finish ranting. Don't forget to pick check out pick up. Don't forget to check out Albert Shivers Patreon channel. Patreon, just type in Albert Shivers. You can check out what's going on there. Instagram, at Albert Shivers. I'm going to have new episodes of uh, Insomnia Art coming out this week for you to check out. A lot of new drawings coming out. Keep I'll keep everything posted on Instagram and on Patreon. If you're on Facebook, which seems to be dying more and more every day, you could look at Albert Shivers Visual Artist, the like page on there. And that's all I got to say. Let's get to this conversation I had with Kelly. I love the conversation. She's always a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoy it too. And I'll hear from you on the other side of it. You are listening to the first station on your dot. WCNW operating on a frequency of 1500 kilocycles in Brooklyn, New York. And I hear a lot of stories about Zoom and all that. Do I need to like take my pants off before we start? or? Is that only Zoom? Like, how does that work? <laughs> you can keep them on for now. All right, all We'll right. see what happens as the show Fair goes. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, I was telling some sordid tales of um, inadvertently getting dosed with angel dust. And it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a pleasant time. No, no. When you're not expecting it, planning on it. No. Didn't ask for it. It's not right. a pleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, so that's, I was telling you, I, I actually had something very similar happen. I was about 19 years old, um, and I was, I had already moved out of my mom's house, but I was still working at um, the Wendy's in Clark Summit, which is not far from her house. Mm -hmm. I didn't drive, so I had to always get a ride. Well, the person that was giving me a ride that day was actually um, the manager's sister, Okay. And um, I was living in an apartment. It was me and my boyfriend and his best friend. But then his cousin was there so much that he might as well have been living there. And um, so I asked his cousin one day if, um, if he could get me a bag of weed. And he was like, oh, yeah, of course, no problem. Mm -hmm. So he showed up that morning with a bag of weed. And, you know, I was getting ready for work. And um, Helen, the girl that was giving me a ride, she showed up and I said, well, you know, do you want to smoke before we go? And she said, yeah, 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 let's. And in the meantime, she had also um, bought herself a trailer and we were going to stop by the trailer park so that she could put her deposit down and everything else on okay. the way to work. And she wanted to show it to me. She was so proud, <laughs> you know. Um, so she shows up. We all decide, all right, we're going to smoke. Well, I... Didn't know anything about it. I thought it was just weed, just like any other weed. Right, we yeah. passed it around the room like four times. Well, she only took one hit, and she was like, no, no, I'm good. And I, I thought that was kind of strange, but I really didn't. I mm -hmm. thought, well, we're on our way to work. Maybe she just doesn't want to get too high, you know? So we left, and we get to the trailer park. By the time we got to the trailer park, everything was, like, moving weird. Mm. And, and I was totally... I knew that I was higher than I should be for just a couple of hits of weed. Right. 
and I didn't know why, but I just knew like, wow, I'm, I'm flying high. So she dealt with the, the guy that she had to deal with. We get in the car and I'm telling her the whole way to work. I said, Helen, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. Like I don't even know what is going on right now. Like I, I couldn't even think straight, you know? And kind of like you, things started looking weird and, and almost creepy. Thank God it was daytime for me. Unfortunately, you, you had to deal with this yeah. at night. So we get to work, and as we pull into the parking lot, I see a van there, and I went, oh, my God, my mother's here. And I totally freaked out because of my, I mean, it was my mother's van, absolutely, right? right? So where you come in, you come in through the side, and you have to actually kind of go through the dining room for a few feet before you get behind into the kitchen area. Okay. So I just ran back there. I kept my head down, pretended like I didn't see anybody or anything, right? So now I'm peeking out trying to see where is my mother. She wasn't there. It was just another van exactly like uh, hers. But yeah. I was freaking out, right? I mean, out of my mind. Because my mother didn't know that I smoked weed at the time mm-hmm. or anything like that. I was supposed to be a little angel. And um, I want to say I was maybe there for about 20 minutes. They had me on drive through okay. So I have the headset on and I'm taking orders and everything. And um, at one point, I just turned to her. I said, Helen... I said, I'm going to pass out. She's like, oh, Kelly, just just take a couple deep breaths. I said, no, I really think I'm going to. And with that, I passed out. I literally went down, hit my head off of the ice bin on the way to the ground. And when I finally came to, they um, were on the phone trying to get an ambulance to come and get me. And I was like, no, 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 no. And the the manager is going, well, we have to. You passed out. Like, yeah. You have to get to the hospital. And I was like, no, no. I just, uh, I, I didn't sleep well last night. And I haven't been eating right. I, I, I'll be all right. And I finally, I did get them. I was terrified. I thought they were going to take me to the hospital. I'm going to be drug tested. Yeah. I, I, my whole world was going to, keep in mind, I was only 19. Right. So right. in my head, my whole world was coming to an end right then and there. So anyway, um, they, what they ended up doing was they called my friend Mandy, who had just gotten off of her shift. She came, she got me, she drove me home, and then she went back and finished my shift for me. After, after the fact, Helen came over to see how I was doing, and she's the one who told me. She was like, well, that was, why did you smoke that much? I was like, I always smoked that much. What? And right. she's like, well, yeah, but it, was, it, it had angel dust in it. And I was like, What? I was so angry because I did not ask for that. I had really? no idea. There was no warning. And look at what the consequences could have been. Oh, I yeah. was, like, very upset. So, um, yeah, that was my, that was, like, the, the one, quote, unquote, bad trip I've ever right. had. It, I was no. freaking. No, I don't blame you. The whole time. Had I, if I had a drive home directly afterwards, it would have been a different story. Yeah. Um... Because the, within the time of me having it to the time when I decided to go home was probably like an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. Yeah. And I knew like my first line of defense whenever something isn't jiving is water. Yeah. Just boom, boom, boom. Just chugging water as best I can. So I was, it probably looked weird. <laughs> so I was just chugging water like, and looking at the honeymooners like terrified. Because he, I should, this, I, this, I should tell you this too. So in his house, this isn't. He doesn't have a TV. He's got a projector with a screen oh. that's probably like eight foot by eight foot. So I'm not seeing a little Ralph. You're seeing, I'm seeing Ralph. Big, yeah, <laughs> big ass Ralph oh screaming. God. And every time, like I just would see his whole face contort whenever he'd yell. Yeah. And I'm like, this I can't. Oh, I can't handle this. Concentrate on Norton. He's so nice. Look at him. You know, I'm just, whatever I could. And driving home, like, I can handle driving. I'm fairly good at that aspect of getting myself where I need to be. Yeah. But even driving felt like, you know, it was more like um, driving a boat. I was going to say, it's more liquidy. Like, everything just feels different. You move different. Yeah. And, like, the music in the car. Like, I didn't know what was going to be worse for me, hearing road noise or hearing music. And I just I so went with the music, even, even though the music, even is the music freaking was out, freaking me out. <laughs> you don't dare turn it off. Big time freaking me out. <laughs> yeah. Because this was like it's like Polish electronic music. I don't know what trip I was even on <laughs> to be on that, which was good, very creative stuff. But it wasn't 
it was not mixing with where my headspace was. And then to find out the next day, like what, what the deal really was. And then, um, luckily so far, like that girl's not around no more. So, well, that's, that's you know, the end. And, yeah. and as, as mad as I was, I do have to say it wore off actually pretty quickly mm-hmm. that, that dust part of, you know, that trippy yeah. kind of part. I want to say, I, I mean, I was only like that for maybe about an hour and a half, two hours okay. before I finally started. And I mean, I still wasn't 100% normal, but I started to feel normal. And I was like, all right, great. And um, so then the rest of the bag, I didn't want to, I, I really kind of didn't want it right. anymore. Yeah. But I'm certainly not going to do what was done to me. I yeah. ended up, um, I think it was our other roommate ended up buying it, but I made sure that he knew ahead Absolutely. of time, like, yeah. by the way, this is, and he, of course, he was thrilled, right. you know, and, and that's fine. If that's what you're looking to do, you are going to be thrilled. Yeah. But when it takes you by surprise and, like I said, going to work, <laughs> I mean, yeah. really, you couldn't give me the heads up here? Right. So... <laughs> and I did find it, I, I actually found it very strange that Helen was like, well, why do you think I only took one trip or one hit? She goes, I tasted it in the first hit. And I was like, I didn't taste anything. Yeah. How, how do you even recognize that right. taste? Yeah, I didn't know either. Not a clue. Yeah. Yeah. I had gotten dosed my first time at a dead show in San Francisco. Oh, nice. Somebody offered me, um, a girl that was in our group offered me as as far as I remember it, Kelly, she asked me if I wanted a drink and handed me a bottle of water. And at the time, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a chemical that was going around at that show. Okay, like mescaline or something? Something like that. Yeah. That they were putting in the water that would be, would be undetected to the taste or visually. Yeah. So we were in the, the new Bill Graham Auditorium. And it's hot. I mean, it was January, but still, it's hot. You got a thousand bodies in there. Yeah. They're all waiting for the show to start. I was like a camel. So somebody offered me water. I was, it was, I was thankful, and I drank it like it was water. <laughs> you know, I didn't take a huge, but I took a couple of good gulps. Yeah. And I was like, thank you so much for the water. Yeah. And then next thing you know, here comes Bob Weir, and there's like eight of them. Now my aunt ain't right, <laughs> and he's like, I remember they started off the show, and I'm, I would stand if if for the deadhead lingo, I'd be on the Bob side always. I would be on his side of the stage. Yeah, and I'm watching his hand, and he's playing the guitar, but his hand's doing this, like it's like trailing and jumping. And yeah, like I'm like I'm missing things, and then it's like. It felt like I was watching a VHS tape on a on a player that was malfunctioning. Yeah. And I was like, that wasn't water. <laughs> and I couldn't see, like, because the backlighting of the stage was messing with my vision. And um, I made it out of the crowd into the hallway and to water and food. But it was like, I was able to keep one, like, pinky toe in reality. Yeah. But the one moment where I knew, like, okay, I'm experiencing very different things in the rest of the world, <laughs> is I got my bottle of water, which was a whole to-do, but there were water fountains at the place. So I had in my mind that I'll buy the $7 bottle of water, Yeah. I'll bend over for that, but then I'll go to the water fountain and, and refill. refill it. Yeah. So I'm on one of my refills, and I'm behind, there's two people in front of me, um, two, like, girls probably about my age at the time and they're getting their they're doing the same thing I'm doing yeah so I'm waiting behind them and they they finish filling their their bottles and they turn to me and they say something I don't know they were they look Chinese for all you right. know at that point they look friendly <laughs> yeah. but they said something to me and I said something back to them and their that their faces just like turned to stone and I felt that I said something friendly like, it wasn't nothing, like, anything, like, just, like, yeah. oh, thank you. Like, that's what I felt like I said. Like, But clearly that's not it's what, not what I said. <laughs> and I don't know what came out. And I knew, I'm like, okay, Albert, you in the world, there's a bigger gap there's than you gap. thought. Yeah. So just go find a seat. And there were seats. So this was New Year's Eve show. We were going into the Year of the Dragon. 
So what do the dead do? This was further, actually. What do they do? They had a big, big animatronic dragon oh hiding in the ceiling. You had to have freaked out. At that point, I had enough food and water in me, and I had found a seat. Oh, okay. Because it was the venue was like a hockey rink, so you the 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 rink itself was standing room, and you had the stage, but then the the seats were above. It. Yeah. So I found a seat, and I was sitting there riding it out. And at this point, I'm in the groove. I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm by myself. No one's bugging me, so I'm fine. Midnight hits. They start blowing smoke everywhere. This big um, towel comes off this dragon. Big, like, sheet covering it. Yeah. There, somehow, they got... There's an actress sitting on the dragon in a mermaid outfit. I don't know how she got up there. Yeah. But she's up there. Or was she up there the whole time? <laughs> Dear know. God, that poor right? woman. <laughs> I, I don't know. What performers don't do. <laughs> I'm saying. So they start lowering this dragon. And they have they have like dragon roars coming through the PA. Yeah. The lights are going nuts. The there the the bands on stage like playing like they do their like space out moment. Yeah. So they're playing all spaced out, weird music, and here comes this dragon. And have you ever when you were a kid do the thing where you get a, a bowl of water and you put pepper in the water and you stick the a, a bar of soap and the pepper all expands. Spreads. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was like. Nobody knew this was coming, Kelly. And the whole crowd just starts running. Oh, no. Away from where this dragon's coming down. I'm watching people running into one another. Yeah. I just totally freaked out because whatever I had had was going around. Somebody in our group was seizuring after the show. I didn't see that happen. Wow. But whatever it was. Keep in mind, it's a dead concert there's probably people who were willingly taking oh, absolutely. stuff to begin yeah. with but if yeah. it's unexpected you don't see that coming i was the one like i was probably the only guy there who was naive and like oh water how nice <laughs> you know yeah so you had that happening there were mushrooms and everything else yeah that accompanies it and yeah like that was so i was pissed the yeah. next day yeah somehow i managed they got me back we were in, I mean, I don't want this to take up the whole show, but we were in the Casa Loma Motel in San Francisco, which was a, like a, pretty much a hostel. Okay. And um, the rooms were a full bed with about probably about two feet on each side of the bed to the wall and a sink. No bathrooms were separate. The showers were separate. And we were more than, like, we had rented them two people a room. But then all these other people started bandwagoning on. Yeah. So I remember going, getting back to that room and just like we were sharing the bed. Like we were rotating who slept in the bed. Yeah. And I remember getting to the room and there still being enough like not giving a shit in me to say, I know it is not my turn to take the bed, but screw I'm you guys. The bed. <laughs> you didn't dose me tonight. Guess what? I'm in the bed. Yeah, yeah. So I just like boom in the bed and I heard like I fell asleep. It's like the yammering of hippies. Like, well, like I guess we'll leave him in the bed. It's not his turn though. <laughs> I'm like, they'll figure it out. I went to sleep. Well, you know, the hippies were all kind people anyway, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said the the you know, hearing the yammering of, of hippies in the background. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, every year when I go up to the Woodstock reunion, that's what I go to sleep to. That's my right. that's my white noise at night, I you know what you. I mean? Hearing all the that's such a nice, happy noise. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of the Woodstock reunion, so where is that? It's in Bethel. Okay. It's, um, yeah, it, um, it's actually, the driveway is called Yasgur's Road. Uh-huh. Um, they put a sign at the end of it I, years ago when they were still trying to fight um, Gerald and, and okay. not allow the camping to go on. And that was one way they did it. They put a, a sign at the end of the driveway calling it a road so that they could close the road. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but it's actually on Route 92, I want to say. Okay. Um, yeah. Because so that, I bring that up because, so our paths crossed in Scranton. Yes. At the, um, the Diva Theater. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, during her one night of one act, or her, um, well, how did she... What, what did yeah. you name them? A Night of One Axe, I think, is what is all that it was called. Yeah, I 
And you had written quite an interesting piece. I, I did. liked your piece a lot. Thank you. And you know, do you know, I even though I didn't get cast in it, I still ended up with a nickname out of that. Did you really? I did. I did. What was the nickname? Kickstand Kelly. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I forget how it even came up. But yeah, when they were rehearsing, I think I had to sit in for somebody at one point or something during a rehearsal. Okay. I forget how it happened, but I ended up with, with Kickstand Kelly. I was yeah. like, I like that. <laughs> you know, I forgot that how raunchy that play was mm. until I seen until it. Until they tried, yeah. Because when I, I wrote that originally, I pro yeah, I was like 19. My mother was still alive when I wrote that play. Wow. Because I grew up around lots of bikers. Yeah. It's in, in New York and up here. And I just wrote it. It was funny to me. And a couple of years later, I made it into a movie, and the movie, the film was very different than the play. Okay. What the the play pretty much, um, the idea of these two girls sitting there having a conversation. So we film. I had um, the two actresses memorize the lines as best they could, but it was just more improvised. And I yeah. sat them down, and said, "These are the bullet points we're going to hit, but we're not going to go line for line." Right. And they changed a lot of things. And then I kind of came at it from the style of like Borat or Bruno, right? We just, we all were on board and I said, okay, you guys are these characters and I'm going to bring you to some biker bars and you got to stay in character and I'm going to be the filmmaker and my buddy, he's going to be the other helper. But like, we're doing this, yeah. like we're going to the real world and we're going to experiment here. Yeah. And it was awesome. But it, it, it moved so far from that script. Okay. So when I got into, you know, working with with Paige and Scranton, and I was going through what things I had, and I had seen a play there about a guy and his hand. He had a hand. The Handing in Spokane, I think is what yeah. it was called. That was a great play. Yeah. One of my very, very close friends... Um, I love him to death. Uh, Casey Thomas, he okay. directed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love that play. <laughs> I laughed hysterically. So I had, I had seen that play. I said, okay, well, these you know these these folks are open. Yeah. To to just about anything. So amongst the plays I submitted was the Blister Sisters. Yeah. And I I breezed through it, making sure like there were no typos, if that I wanted to gussy anything up. But I really didn't like dive into it, and I really didn't think much of it because I would have bet that she would have chose something else. And she chose that, and I was like, "Oh, awesome!" And I gave like notes from afar. Yeah. I didn't get too involved in it, and I went to the opening, and every everybody loved it, which I'm so glad I'm, and I'm I'm proud to have done it. Yeah. But I was sitting there, oh my god, like. They're, they're doing this. Yeah, you know? yeah. But you know what? I mean, like, see, you used the word um, raunchy. I thought yeah. it was kind of more, kind of poignant. You know what I okay. mean? Like, um, yeah, there's cursing and this, that, and the other. But, it, you know, it, dealing with the whole drug issue and, like, at the end, how, you know, how it goes. Yeah. I thought it actually was a very good piece, uh, you know, uh, almost like a, what do, what do you want, like a scared straight kind of a yeah. PSA, you right. know what I mean? But it was so well done, I thought. Well, thank you. Written and, and acted. Yeah, I no, they did a very good job. All the way around, I was really, I, I liked that piece a lot. I really did. No, thank you, and I'm, I'm glad, I like what they ended up doing with it. Yeah. The movie is very different. Yeah. And you know what? While we're on it, can yeah. I just say kudos to Paige? Because you make a very good point. She was open to do something that, you know, a, a lot of the theaters in the area, they, you know, the audience is usually an older audience. You know, mm -hmm. their, their repeat audience yeah. is the older audience right. that likes to come out. Well, they, they're always so afraid to offend them that we're still doing plays that aren't, they have nothing to do with today anymore. Right. You know what I mean? And um, so I have to give credit to Paige. She does She does take on the risky shows like Behanding in Spokane, mm -hmm. like um, Blister Sisters. And it does go over well. And, and I think, personally, if you want younger 
people, you know, dare I say, not not the boo hairs, as right. they call them, which is terrible, but everybody knows <laughs> what you mean when you say right. it. If you want people other than the blue hairs to come out, you have to start expanding out of that, you know, the old, like, Our Town or, um, you know, I, I can't even think of any... Um, but, you know, like the older plays. And, yeah. and they're nice. They're fun to do. But you have to have more of a variety. You have to have something that's going to attract a younger a younger crowd. Something that's going to yeah. hold their interest. You know? Yeah. And I'd say that even the other plays that, um, that they had that night, as I'm remembering it, were very much in the same vein. Like, it, yeah. it was very mixed. And there was, like, a little bit of... In terms of what you're saying and with their audience, pushing the envelope a little bit. Yeah. Based on who their audience is. You know, it's not like anybody went out to specifically be um, offensive or anything, Mm -hmm. but we're also not going to stay in our little playpen. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and I I appreciate that. But, you know, part of that, too, that night in particular, and this goes with um, every year when she has her Night of One Acts, that's all local writers. Yeah. You know, so it's not the tried and true stuff that's been, you know, on stage since 1940. You know, right. it, it is all newer. Mm-hmm. So, thank God for local talent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when was it? When when was it that you got into acting? Um, well, elementary school. Okay. <laughs> no, that's. You yeah. know, really. Um, I think kindergarten was my first play. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe first grade at the latest. Um. But I had um, a very, very, um, a strict doesn't even cover it. Uh, my mother was extremely um, overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't allowed to do any kind of like after school activities or anything like that. So drama club was never even an option. Okay. Elementary school, you get to be in the play because your class is doing the play. Right. You know, um, by the time I got to high school, I could be in the musicals because I was in chorus class, but I was never going to have a part because my mom wasn't wasn't willing to drive me back and forth and, and okay. do all of that stuff. So then um, I actually, after I graduated, I, I wanted to go out to New York or, or even Philly, whatever, and make a go of it. Right. But at 18 years old, I had no money, no right. no resources. I didn't know anybody out there. So, like, you know, to even go and be able to stay with somebody for a while until I got going, anything like that. So, basically, as much as I had the dream to do it and the want and the drive, I never actually pursued it. And I ended up just working dead-end jobs here and there, trying to make ends meet, trying to keep the apartment, you know, because I moved out. I, I mean, as soon as I graduated, I moved mm-hmm. out. And so then it just became all about keeping the bills. Right. And, um, but at one point, um, I forget what year it was, but at one point I was working in a print shop, um, and there's, the radio is always, always on. It's Mm -hmm. never not on. And, um, a commercial came, uh, not a commercial, but, um, the morning guys came on and they were talking to this guy, Chris Barnes. And um, he started talking about, and I had no idea, you know, who he was or anything like that. And, um, but then they started talking about how he was going to have some improv classes. Okay. And I thought, all right, you know, um, I was at a point in my life now, I had already gone through one or two kind of traumatic incidences. And I I had finally gotten to the point in my life where I was like, you know what, the hell with it. You know, I got to start living life. Right. And so um, I started taking those improv classes, and as it turns out, we did that for three years okay. at um, the Scranton Cultural Center. And we performed every single week without fail, and, um, and it was the best time of my life. During all of that, that's when one or two of the other actors had mentioned you know, a community theater show here mm-hmm. or there. I never even heard of community theater. I mean, there I am. I'm 20 some years old. Never heard of community theater ever. Like that's how, that's how sheltered our lives mm-hmm. were when I was a kid. And so um, one day I went to an audition for um, "You Can't Take It With You." 
Okay. All right, my first audition ever, and I got the lead, and I was like, oh my God, and that was it. I, I've never, I haven't really stopped since. Um, you know, there's, of course, ebb and flow in the work, right, but right. I really kind of haven't stopped since. Um, how about, okay, now this sounds really, really corny, but it is the God's honest truth. Okay. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, um, I had... My, my grandparents were already passed away long before I was born, but we had um, my Aunt Claire, which was actually my great aunt. So she was basically, for me, she was like my grandma. You know gotcha. what I mean? And uh, Aunt Claire's house is where all of the family gatherings would be, whether they'd be birthday parties or a summer picnic, whatever. Um, and I can remember we were, you know, at a family birthday party and somebody had asked me, you know, well, what, what do you want to do when you grow up and move out of your mom's house? And I, my first response was, well, I'm not going to leave my mom. She'll be lonely. Right. <laughs> oh, sweet, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so then uh, they said, no, no, well, you know, you're still going to have to have a job. Like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be an actress. Now, I couldn't have been much more than, like, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. So, um... You know, for me, it's never been about, like, you know, being rich and famous or any of that. It's not about the accolades. For me in particular, it's just always been in my blood. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, it's always just been there. I don't know where it came from. My mother, if you put a microphone in front of her, she can't even say her name. And she'll tell you that. Right. As soon as the microphone's not there. (laughs) (laughs) But for whatever reason, I have it. And Mm. I can't get rid of it, so... No, and that's why I like to bring people on the show who are, who it is in their blood, and they're making it work. Try You know, like there's, (laughs) there, whether, like I think about this with music too, people who aren't in the arts, they see it as you're either just, just, just starting, or you're huge. Right. I think and a if lot of people. If anything in between, they see it as a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's got to be steps in between that. <laughs> exactly, and and there's, you know, the people who are working their regular job and doing community theaters just out of the love of it, you know, whether they're amazing actors and actresses or not, you got to respect that, you know, that that love for and that stickability. Yeah. Because for the average person, like, no, you don't need to be doing it, but you love to do it, and, you know, so you're making that initiative. I've actually had people question, you know, well, like you said, people who aren't in the arts, they don't understand, and I don't mean that to put them down, but they right. don't understand that you have this thing, you need to feed it. Yeah. Um, I've had people outright say, like, why are you bothering with all of this? Like, you know, you're literally putting in, and it is, it's like a part-time job because you get out of work and now you go to rehearsal and you could be there from anywhere to three to four hours every night, four and five nights a week before you ever even, for a whole month before you even get to put the show off, at which point when you do put the show off, now you got two weekends of your life that you that you've dedicated to this so they see it as like what are you doing with your life you could be doing so much other stuff yeah but i don't want to do the other stuff i I love this you know um but you know and it's it's interesting too i just had a conversation with um a friend of mine dave um he got into acting for a little while now he's kind of taken a little break from it he just just does it because it's fun and it's something to do but he doesn't Mm -hmm. have the drive like like we have that drive that we have to do this well there was this guy oh god I'm not going to remember his name now Uh, let's see if I can find it real quick Um, this actor and if I show you his picture you're going to know it you'll know him immediately um He never even started until he was in his 60s. And when I show you his face, he was in like hundreds of, of films, hundreds and hundreds of TV shows. Oh, shoot. I'm not going to find it now. I'll have to look it up later. That's okay. And get back to you. Because as soon as I, as soon as I point him out, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I wish it was in my history, but it's not. It was too long uh. ago.
God, That's just right. like that. But yeah, he wasn't even, um, he literally never even started until he was in his 60s. And it was cute. I, I actually, I, I saw him on a, a Johnny Carson episode that I was watching. And that's when I found out how many shows he had been in. Wow. And how he never started until he was in his 60s. And it was just a cute story because, you know, Johnny, of course, is sitting there going, well, you know, you know, you like acting. You're obviously very good at it. Mm -hmm. How come it took you so long? And he's like, well, my wife didn't want to travel the country. And. So I gave her what she wanted, and right. now I'm retired, and now I can do this, and mm -hmm. it was just so cute. Um, but yeah, um, so the original point that I was getting at is, there is no, especially when it comes to like music or acting. You know, it's not like it's not like growing up wanting to be a baseball player, and once you hit a certain age, you know that that dream is done. Yeah. For us, that dream is not no. going to be done until the no. day we die, because. Right. You can always do it. They're, they're going to need people of literally any and every age group that there is. You yeah. Know? In, in February, I had um, an actress on here, Michelle Starr. You can go back and listen to the episode. Um, I may have seen that, heard that one, but I'll, so I'll check it out again. She was a librarian here in, in Strasbourg. That was her career. She reached retirement age. Whatever okay, that I was. did not see this one. I'll, I'll check that out. She reached retirement age um, and said, screw it. I'm, I'm doing it. And she's doing it. And she's doing the hell out of it. Yeah. She went from, you know, busting her butt, doing extra work, to now getting, like, featured extra parts, to, you know, and, and it really, like, for anybody in the arts, that whole conversation I had with her has just proved to me something that, I already knew, which is that it's not too late ever. Not ever. For the arts. Never, never, never. Yeah. You know, there's always a chance if you put the work in. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and it's, that's actually where I need to get, I need to get back to that. I need to get, like, headshots and, res and mm -hmm. redo my resume and all that so I could get back to that. I actually, um, my big claim to fame was that I, <clears throat> I did the background extra work for a very short time. And, okay. um. I'm actually in National Treasure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You have to pause it to see me, but I can tell you it's one hour, 33 minutes, and 55 seconds. If you pause mm -hmm. it right there, you'll go, that's her! <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and that is, I mean, that's how you start. You, you, you know, of course, um, community theater can keep you doing things, but it's not going to pay anything. Right. And, you know, listen, if, if I could learn how to live for free... I do community theater every day for the rest of my life because, like I said, it's not about the fame and fortune. It's yeah. just, um, but if you want to actually pay your bills, that's how you start. You do the extra work, and then you do the featured extra, yeah. and then you just keep moving up from there. Right. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, no, it's awesome, and, and it was fun to kind of, because um, I was doing my movies round about the same time she was just starting to get into things. Yeah. So, we would cross paths, because um, we would cross paths at the synagogue here. So, I would say to her, hey, like, I do my little movies, and, you know, if you just want to do something for fun, yeah, you know, you're welcome to be in it. So, she was in, like, two or three of, like, little parts. Yeah. And so, that was fun, too, and kind of being there at the beginning, and now, like, having her come back on, and... Now she's like a featured extra most of the time now and just kind of working her way in. Yeah. She deals with a little bit of typecasting based on her age and her appearance. You know, I, But yeah. that's something... Go ahead. We, we all deal with that. I deal right. with that. You know what I mean? I, I get typecast a lot um, because I have the sweet, innocent look to me. Mm -hmm. It's just the Irish, really, I think, because <laughs> here's what does it. Um, so I'm either, now here's the interesting part, I'm either the sweet, innocent little girl, or often they'll make me the murderer because nobody's going to suspect. suspect. <laughs> exactly. But either way, it's based on your looks. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. that's something that goes with it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what? Now, what was her name again? Michelle Starr. Michelle Starr. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, no, she's cool, and I think she might... I don't know if she has, like, her a site up yet or not. But, no, yeah, her episode was great. Better, like, more fun than I expected it to be. Nice. Once we got into the conversation, everything was good. Yeah. Cool. 
So what's like a favorite role of yours that you've done? Okay. Either on stage or in front of the camera. Um, Joy. Her name okay. was Joy. I can't remember her last name now. Um, it was a show called Scandal Point. Okay. Um, and I, I, I recommend just read it. Because it, the, the, the plot of the, sh the show was really well thought out, and it's very interesting to begin with. But she is one that, she's very clever, she's very cunning, she's very manipulative, but it's all kind of behind the scenes, and she comes off all so nice and sweet, mm -hmm. and she's kind of, I think um, she had a southern accent, if I remember correctly, um, and I had a lot of fun with that because there was one scene in particular where the the two gentlemen that are in the play who I'm playing off of each other basically um, they just had a conversation right before I come on stage that okay. said something about you know oh joy she she never stops talking or something like that mm -hmm. so then when you come on um, the scene was written where she just yammers on and on and on well I kind of made that I, I expanded it throughout the rest of the play mm -hmm. I gave her a couple of little um you know, she was making tea or coffee or whatever, and I, I, that was the first time I ever used this, and I've used it actually in another play too, where I literally take the sugar spoon and I'm just putting one after another after another while I'm talking mm -hmm. and not even looking. There's probably 20 spoonfuls of sugar in there, and I stir it up, and the audience sees it. They're smart. Right. They catch on to these little things, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? You don't have to make everything all so grandiose. They see these little things. Right. And, um... It's so funny because then I take a sip of it and they're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, that was just part of, I, I actually had a lot of fun developing her character mm -hmm. into what she ended up being. And uh, like I said, on top of that, the play itself was just really interesting. So she's definitely, she's my, I think my favorite to date was Joy. Nice. And that's the thing about doing that stuff in front of a live audience is you getting that reaction. Oh, yeah. You feed um, off of that. Because that really is perfect because you're building the suspense with each um, teaspoon of sugar you're putting in that cup. Right. They're like, wait a minute. And, you know, <laughs> it goes on for long enough that everybody's caught on and then you take that drink and you get to feel that reaction immediately. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you do feed off of it. And the other thing is, too, it's nice it gives you validation because there's been some plays where, you know... Um, you know, you worked something into the character to to develop that character, and then on the first one or two nights of the show, you get zero reaction, and you go, okay, I guess they didn't like that. And it yeah. gives you an opportunity to then change that or or tweak it at least a little and make it better. So not only do you feed off of the energy, but you get to learn what the audience is and is not willing to accept right there in the moment. And I love that. Yeah. I love that, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love doing film and, and television too, but with the live theater, you know, there's no guessing, well, how did they how did they respond to that at home? Yeah. It's right there. No, it's, it's, it's definitely a rush. I mean, I spent more time behind the scenes than on the stage, but I... I was in a, a portion of Edward Albee's The Goat. Okay. Which is... Okay, so like, real quick, it's a play of the husband and a wife. They get a house in the country. So every weekend, the husband's going up to work on this house. While he's up there, um, he... There's a farm next to the house. Okay. And they have animals at this farm. One of the animals on the farm is a goat... P.S. The husband falls in love with a goat. Oh, okay. And I got to play the husband. So my scene was, I'm finally going to come out as this goat lover to my wife. And I have this Right? <laughs> I have this whole monologue. And um, it was the universe saying, oh yeah? Because that year I was like, my goal, I want to try to be on stage. Enough of this behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. I was like, okay, here, have this role. Where I'm, I'm comparing the goat to her, like the whole thing, very all the intricacies and intimacies 
of the two of them. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was fun as hell, but it was it was like I had the worst part <laughs> wasn't even wasn't even I, the. I understand <laughs> your pain, but. <laughs> The worst part wasn't even the lines. I could say the lines doesn't matter, but I had to wear a very like I had a button-down, very tight button-down, and a sweater vest. Oh god! A green sweater vest that made me want to jump off a building. I hated my outfit, but yeah. you know that's part of it. But that's yeah, I was gonna say it. sometimes that's part of it. You yeah. know, um, you know that's the other. You know, <laughs> it's so funny to me. When I watch an actor, and they're supposed to be extremely angry, and their forehead doesn't even wrinkle. Right, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. like, because they're so concerned about not looking, they, they want to look pretty all the time. Well, you know what? Maybe your character isn't pretty. Maybe yeah. you should ug it down a little. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. seriously. Um, there was this one show, um, uh, The Housekeeper. I wasn't in it. Uh, two very good friends of mine did it they did it for uh, quite a few times actually because it, it, it was so well received and um the woman is you know in in real life she is very pretty she's always very well put together immaculate the whole nine yards but she's supposed to show she's supposed to be frumpy sure enough she dressed it was the funniest thing for me to i never saw her look frumpy before but you know you have to be willing to do that and she did and it looked right and, and you forget that you're watching somebody that yeah. you know because it doesn't look like somebody that you know you know right. but yeah I, I get a kick out of that sometimes when I notice people are, are a little and it, and it is hard especially if you're a beginner beginner actor it's kind of hard to let go and mm. and be that so totally opposite and try to pretend like there's nobody watching you and not care what you look like yeah. and all of that it's kind of hard but I love how you're like, you're all like, oh, yeah, this is the part. But that's the part, you know? It, it, it is creepy, but sometimes that's kind of the fun part of it. For me, anyway. Like, there, I've played a couple of killers in my day, and some of them are really creepy. Yeah. And it's like, if I ever met this person in real life, my skin would crawl. But in all reality, I'm having a blast pretending yeah. oh, to yeah. be this one. Right. <laughs> no, it was, it was a fun time. And I think I just, you know, you having a good again? sense of humor about it. Maybe not that role. No, no, I've not been, that role. Oh, yeah, I mean, no. You know. I've been in, um, out of necessity, I've been in a couple of my own movies. Okay. Um, because people have either dropped out, and I know I'm going to be there. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> and if you're not... <laughs> right. Then there's no movie. Yeah, exactly. But I, I would, I think there'd be definitely the time to do yeah. it. But it would be fun. Like, it's fun to pretend... It is, you know. and you know, that's the other thing, like, I oftentimes will, will compare it, like, you know, again, like somebody like my mother who gets terrified, terrified right. at the idea of being on stage, so some people will say, like, oh my god, I don't know how you can do it. Yeah. I'm playing pretend. I'm doing exactly what I did when I was five years old. Right. I'm not doing anything spectacular. Yeah. You know, that's, at least that's how I see it, and, and I, I, hopefully you enjoy it, but to me, I'm not doing anything all that, like life-altering or, or, you know... Right. You know, it's not rocket science. For me, I, I feel like I'm just a kid playing pretend. Yeah. And I like, I feel like I'd probably be a little bit better at it now because I care less... Yeah. ...about opinions or outside. Like, what got me through that particular... Because I was very nervous my first time. I was well, in, sure. like, a black box theater. So the audience was as close... As like just across the table like this. Yeah. And I had family was there. So there was a lot for me to be nervous about. But I also had a stomach bug. Oh, God. And I was... So I was just throwing up all day. Yeah. So I was fine. And they were gonna... Um, they were gonna say, you know, you can, we don't need to do this. Like, it's okay if you want to back out. And I knew enough to know that like me being sick was enough to distract me. From what was making me nervous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was went up there and here I'm a guy coming out as a goat lover. So the, <laughs> the paleness and the and flushes. The yeah. It worked. <laughs> it kind of fits. Yeah. It fit. Had I puked around stage, everyone was like, oh, wow. How method. <laughs> exactly. You know? Wow. Give him an Oscar. Yeah. 
it's funny you should say that. We were talking about my first play ever, my first community play ever was um, Can't Take It With You. The first two weekends were so well received mm -hmm. that they actually asked us if we would do a third weekend, which was all last minute. There was, I think, only one or two people who couldn't, but their roles were short enough that you could get somebody else to learn the lines quickly. And we ended up doing it a third week. That third week, the the guy that was playing opposite of me, mm -hmm. of course, we fall in love. Well, there's once or twice in the play that we kiss. He was so sick. Uh. He was so sick. And the snot is literally running down, <laughs> and it's on his lip, and he just plants one on mm. me. And I, to this day, I'm like, ew! <laughs> you couldn't at least use your sleeve or something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, and that's and that's the kind of funny behind the scenes behind the scenes yeah. stuff that you know. Those are the tales that only we know. <laughs> yeah. No, and and it's all about you know like there's a level of illusion between yeah you and the audience. So yeah, probably most people probably didn't. Even they know didn't that. have a clue. And you were such I a good actor, you didn't. Somebody else's <laughs> snot. <laughs> no, see and. How, how lucky you are! No other no other life choice would have landed you there. That, yes, <laughs> lucky. <laughs> Your choice of words baffles me. Like lucky, I'll go with that. Yeah, there could be people out there dying for a mouthful of snot. That and, is, they, they could and be. You got it for free. You know what? There's probably a fetish out there for people who like snot. I don't know, and I got it for free. You're right. <laughs> no, that, that's what. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, luckily in that I wasn't kissing anybody in that show. And the goat wasn't there. <laughs> you didn't have to kiss the goat. I didn't have to kiss the goat. Alright. There was you know what's you know what the best part of it and then I'll we could switch, but my monologue was trimmed in that show. Okay. It had been longer. Yeah. And in part of the monologue, this character, this this fucking guy, he like he falls in love with the goat and he starts like seeing attractive qualities in other animals too. <laughs> oh, no. So, like, there's this one part of the monologue where he's rattling off, like, sheeps and ducks and, like, all these other things. And I'm like, what What am I memorizing? And I had memorized that whole that whole thing, and then it started to get trimmed. Because it, um, it was for, like, a one-axe night. Okay. And the plays had to be a certain length. A certain length. Yeah, yeah. But things were getting cut. But that was, like, my, my favorite little part. Because he's just like, oh, yeah, and I find, like, sheep and ducks and roosters... You're like, who is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> do these people exist in real life? I'm sure they do. You go 25 well, minutes west of here. That's the interesting part. You figure, you know, like a lot, a lot of these characters are so far off that you're like, these people can't really exist. But they have to because somebody wrote about them. So somebody met somebody like that somewhere yeah. along the lines. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least like a reasonable facsimile yeah, exactly. that they're building on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But we are just about out of time. Okay. But this was so much fun, and I'm definitely going to have you back on. Good, I'm, yeah. Because, yeah, no, time just flew by. We're at an hour. I'm excited. I, I was afraid I wouldn't have anything to say, so. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, thanks again for doing it. And um, do you have anything coming up? Um, no, COVID okay. kind of put the kibosh on everything that gotcha. I had going on, so. Okay. Well, keep me updated, and I'll throw it in the show. That's awesome. If you have any plays coming will, up or any definitely. performances. Thank cool, you. cool. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Well, if that wasn't a fun episode, I don't know what could be. Thank you to Kelly for coming on the show. Thank you guys for listening to the show or watching the show. I really appreciate it. The sound was a little crazy, but you know what? That's this is what we're working with. It gives it some flavor. You know what I'm saying? This is real life we're dealing with here. No Mickey Mouse stuff. You can check out this episode and more on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube with video. While you're looking at the video, you can check out the rest of the Albert Shivers YouTube channel with the art videos and all sorts of new things that will be coming out this week and the coming weeks. The Albert Shivers Patreon page is up and running. You can go check that out. And don't forget, wherever you're consuming this podcast, if you feel so moved, don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you again to Kelly for being on the show. Take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.